Welcome to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is... John Van Trieste. And the destination... 1961. For decades, anyone in Taiwan who wanted to learn English had only one place to turn. For whole generations of people here, the works of author Ke Qihua were trusty friends, guiding the way through the tangled world of English grammar. It is for these bestsellers, published starting around 1960, that many Taiwanese people today remember Ke best. But Ke was a man of staggering talent, whose literary output included books in multiple languages, novels, and poetry. He was also a man whose life was full of tragedy. As a suspected dissident, living under Taiwan's 20th century dictatorship, he spent the prime of his life, around 17 years in total, imprisoned. His poetic attacks on the government and fight for Taiwan's dignity are also his legacy. Ke passed away in 2002, but his story is just as much the story of his wife, Tsai Ali. Now 86, she still remembers the joy they shared over their success as publishers. And she still remembers the heartbreak of running a business and raising a family alone after Ke was taken. This month, Ms. Tsai has agreed to share her memories with us. And today, we present part two of her recollections. It was October 4th, 1961, in the southern city of Kaohsiung. Sales of Ke's books were booming, with many orders to fill before the day was through. Ms. Tsai says she was at the family's Kaohsiung home that day because she was unwell. It was her first day at home after a doctor had told her that her health problem was serious and she'd have to rest from her teaching job for a month. At three in the afternoon, Ke Qihua was feeling tired and went into his room for a nap, wearing only some light underclothes. Someone showed up outside their home looking for him. Ms. Tai went and got her husband up to answer the door. Come with us, the person said. Ms. Tai remembers trying to get some warmer clothes for him to wear, but she was told there was no need. She said if there was a problem, she'd go too. But she was rebuffed, and Ke Qihua was led away. She was getting more and more anxious, when at around five or six, a few large men barged in and trashed the house, throwing things everywhere, opening drawers, and dumping their contents on the ground. Whenever they found a slip of paper, they'd hold it up to the light to make sure no code was written on it, before going back to their rampage. Miss Tai held her baby tight and stood with her two other children squeezed next to her. They waited in stunned silence, waiting to see what would happen next. The men eventually went away, leaving Miss Tai and the children dazed and unsure what to do. Miss Tai went to the neighbors, who had one of the few phones around. She reached her mother through another acquaintance with a phone. Her mother came quickly. They agreed it would be better if her mother took the youngest child. And now that it was past midnight, her mother took the child home, walking more than an hour. Four years later, I knew that the teacher was in Taipei. 
Miss Tsai went to the police station, but the police said they didn't know anything about it. And so she waited for four months for any news of her husband. Eventually, she found out that he was being held up north in Taipei. Miss Tsai and her mother-in-law were brought into a room with a tape recorder. She says it was a giant bulky thing sitting on the table. She and her mother-in-law were told to give their messages to Ke Xihua. Certain that her husband would come home soon, Miss Tsai put on a brave face and said not to worry because she would take care of everything. Her mother-in-law, however, couldn't even make it past just saying Ke's name. So why had Ke Xihua been taken? The answer only came out later. It had all happened some time before, when Ke had eaten dinner with his younger brother and his younger brother's friends. Everyone knew that before his marriage, Ke Qihua had once been held on the penal colony at Green Island. The gathered friends were curious to know what it was like. Ke told them. Later, one of his brother's friends there at the dinner was caught sending a letter to Japan, describing in detail how dark and miserable times had gotten on Taiwan. Under interrogation, he blamed Ke Qihua for influencing him to write the letter. In this period, a few remarks to a distant acquaintance were all it took to get arrested. Ms. Tsai was there the day that Ke Qihua was finally tried. His sentence? 12 years. The judge asked if anyone had anything to say. Ms. Tsai recalls raising her hand, standing up and defending her husband. He's a good man, she said, who is so busy with his work that he has no time to foment trouble. I see, the judge said when she had finished. And that was it. Miss Tsai said she considered the fact that she was 28 and had three children, and she says that no one there who knew her husband could stop crying. Later, though, talking to those who knew about these things, she was surprised to be told that her husband's fellow prisoners would probably congratulate him and shake his hand. Why would they congratulate him, she asked. Well, it wasn't a death sentence. It was here that Miss Tsai picked herself up and decided to keep going. She knew that once her husband got out, his history in prison would close off many career paths. She had to make sure the publishing house they'd started together kept going for when he came back. On top of that, she was determined that all three of her children would have happy childhoods. Ke Qihua was shipped to a prison in Taidong in southeastern Taiwan. Miss Tsai was allowed one brief visit per month, but Taidong was far away and she was usually far too busy. Most of the time, the 150-character letter she was allowed per week had to suffice. She bought all the best things she could find and sent them in care packages, which she later learned her husband shared with the less fortunate inmates. And she sent books at her husband's request, from which he continued his writing. When her children asked, she told them their father was in America studying. 
Later, when the children found a letter with the prison's address on it, she told them that there just happened to be a place in America that was also called Taidong. Ms. Tsai's daughter memorized that address, and she later learned that her daughter had secretly sent a note to her father, asking him to come home. Eventually, the children stopped buying their mother's story. Eventually, one by one, they asked to see their father, and eventually, one by one, she took them. I'm sorry, is what he told his oldest son on their first visit in 10 years, as a prison official listened in. Inside the prison, Ko was regularly tormented by some of his fellow prisoners, with connections to the government and the military. Still, work on his English books continued, and he sent revisions and new drafts home. At one point, the government banned Ko's books, threatening the family's survival. Ms. Tsai says she simply took her husband's name off the books, until eventually, the government just forgot about its own ban. Even a contributor to a state newspaper sang the praises of Ko's books. People wrote letters crediting the books with good grades and test scores. Around 1969, Ms. Tsai says, more than 100,000 copies of Ko's books were sold each year, a huge print run for Taiwan at the time. In 1970, what had been a tough situation for the family got much worse. Next week, when Ms. Tsai joins us again, we'll hear why her husband was transferred once again to the prison colony on Green Island. And we'll also hear why even after his sentence was up, he wasn't free to go. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. <laughs> 